Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Hello and welcome everyone. Uh, yeah, this is Inside LA Sunday Sit, Long Beach. So we're going to chat today uh, about resiliency. Resiliency. Uh, I liked um, last week. I had my first Buddhist chaplaincy. Um, I'm in a Buddhist chaplaincy program. We had our first meeting, and I met this great teacher. He's really cool. And he says, yeah, you know, when I teach, I ask people, you know, well, I, I get questions, and they say, what about this? And he says, I don't know. Let's figure it out together. You know? <laughs> I don't know. It's all changing so fast. It's impermanent. And I don't know. Let's figure it out. Like, what, what do you guys think? Let's... Let's hash it out. And that's how I feel when I was thinking about this talk today. Resiliency is that it's going to be different. Like what for all of us, we have to look in to see where our own resilience comes from. And what are the antidotes, our antidotes for resiliency. And there's some, some kind of uh, overarching uh, principles that we could look at in, in Buddhism that could help us. Uh, but then we're going to have to check in. Where do we find resiliency? And I feel like this is coming up a lot for me. Just There's just a lot going on. I don't know. Maybe am I the only one or is it this? I don't know. It seems like a lot going on. There's a term in that I've, uh, I like to say, one of my favorite practice uh, phrases to, to remind myself of practice is from Ergen Rinpoche popularized it. And it's short time, many time, drip by drip fills the cup. Mm. And the karma kagyu lineage, this is kind of what we go by. And it's a mindfulness um, phrase, you know, short time, many times, drip by drip fills the cup. So we come back to our practice Short time, many times, drip by drip fills the cup. But sometimes I feel like life like beats me down. Short time, many times. <laughs> <laughs> drip by drip, just like pummeling, you know? Like one thing after another, yeah? All the time. Fills the cup. <laughs> Which is like this dukkha, you know? It's like unsatisfactory um, nature of all external existence. And so what causes that? You know, what causes that, that suffering, that drip by drip? You know, where, where do those hits come from? So if we're mindful of how do those hits affect us, affect us, external stimulus arising and coming into what? What's it hitting upon that creates this, this suffering? Yeah? And so f- for me, when I look at, let's say, my practice... There's a few elements that are really key, and two of them are extremely foundational, especially in Tibetan Buddhism, they're emphasized quite a bit, which is the, the two wings, which is wisdom and compassion. Wisdom and compassion. So these are ones that we know we need to cultivate. And then one I like to emphasize as well, and this, is, this arises out of wisdom, which is joy. Joy. So part of my own resiliency is to look in my life and say, you know, am I finding 
it has to be joyful, like what I'm doing. Like our practice has to, for me, my practice has to be joyful, right? Not too loose, not too tight, as they say, like a guitar string. But when our practice becomes very stern, full of too much, too much effort, right? Too much self-judgment, we lose joy. That's not good for resiliency. And also, too, when our, our activism, whether our morality, our ethics, like when we have to fight for what is right, and this is part of our bodhisattva vow, may we attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings, may we, may we always be aware of our interconnectedness. So when one person suffers, we all suffer, and we have to not just leave that in the cushion, we have to act out of that. But how do we maintain our joy. Is it even okay with all the suffering that is happening in the world? Is it okay to smile? Is it okay to laugh? These are the things that come up, at least for me, you know, like, do I feel guilty just for having, like, going out and doing something completely nonsensical just for fun, just the, for the fun of it, yeah? When I could be doing this, this, or this, yeah? The wisdom piece, of course, is the actual, the meditation piece, the insight, the vipassana. So when we're resting with ourselves, we allow ourselves to, um, we will uh, allow ourselves to see ourselves, which is the, our true natural intelligence, if you will. So without insight, then there's no resilience because then we're in ignorance, yeah? Without insight. There's no wisdom. So we can see if we're falling off there, we need to sit more. There's no wisdom. Experiential wisdom. And so this takes us, uh, there's a big difference here, like uh, I think a lot of us, like myself included, like I want an enlightenment light, you know, like, like a vague enlightenment, like this romantic enlightenment, <laughs> where I get to keep my ego and I get to keep myself, I get to keep my, these judgments are okay over here. I get to keep all this stuff and still say, you know, I'm um, like on the path and, you know, releasing all this stuff, yeah? It's like the, this enlightenment light. It's like this vague enlightenment. So we can kind of get stuck there for quite a while. And, and this is not, we, 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 we could feel this, like when we hear teachings, and these are like really, really strong teachings and truths, truth, impermanence, which is a truth. So this is one, impermanence. So we could look at that, and if we feel conflict with that, we could just set that one to the side and just say, oh, just not, not that one. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'll take all the other ones. Mm -hmm. And see, so this is an example of this wisdom piece. When we're not looking at wisdom, we're not trying to penetrate the wisdom of what is. We're just setting something, we're taking this one, but not this one, yeah? And so by putting those ones to the side, we're allowing ourselves um, for, for suffering to arise in different ways, yeah? By wanting this romantic version of enlightenment. Not being completely honest. And then the third piece is how are we with suffering? Like what is our relationship with suffering? And this is where compassion comes in. We all suffer. Everybody suffers. No matter where you are in the world, no matter how old you are, no matter how much money you have, everybody suffers. How we meet our suffering takes practice. 
the best time to practice for suffering is when you're not suffering. Because compassion is a skill. Without the skill of compassion, compassion can arise into the surface emotions of frustration and anger. Those are surface emotions that arise out of compassion, not wanting to suffer. Then you can get pissed off about suffering. But you really, you just don't want to suffer. Compassion. Staying with compassion can be very difficult. Seeing a loved one that's hurting really, really badly. Yeah? A loved one's hurting. You have compassion, not wanting them to suffer. Yet sometimes we can't stay with that, and it can turn into anger, right? Which breaks down our resiliency. Compassion is infinite. It's truly one of the... Uh, when they say, when we release everything, we're completely... We give up everything, and we're resting in our in resting in rigpa in Tibetan, in rigpa, which are natural essence, yeah, our true nature. Compassion arises spontaneously, uncontrived. It's just there waiting for us. It's not cultivated, yeah. The only thing that we cultivate is remembering it. That's the only thing to cultivate, is sati to remember, yeah, mindfulness to remember. So without joy, our resilience can, can drop. Without wisdom, without wisdom, our resilience drops. Yeah? Without compassion, these three things. I'm going to read maybe a couple quotes here. Oh, one, well, one thing about the wisdom piece. You know, this root, the root of, of suffering, which is self-clinging, yeah? Um, in Tibetan, they call it shinpa. Shinpa is the juice of self-clinging. Like, when, when, um, when jealousy arises, what is the juice of this? Shinpa is like the, the energy of it, the energy of it when, it when it hits us, this self-clinging arises, right? What is that that arises? That's Shinpa, this, this clinging attachment. What are we attached to? Yes, the self, but, and, that, and that feeling of self arising. When, a, when a, a sickness arises, when fear arises, if fear arising in and of itself is no problem, what is it? It's no problem in and of itself. Yeah? But what are we clinging to? Like, what is there to be damaged? Yeah? What is there to be taken away? What is it that we think is permanent and is going to be, you know, um, d disintegrated or demolished or taken away? What is that? And so this is very powerful because it's, Shinpa, it's the, it's the very, um, it's, it can be the, the very cause of enlightenment, yeah? Because it, it, as that arises, when we penetrate that and can't find it, so our own self-clinging, when we allow that to arise and then we penetrate that and see that it's insubstantial, then we know that we're free. Right? There's nothing to fear. So w when we look at these things, I know we've gone over a million times, but with the, with the self, it's, it's non-substantial. I mean, this is, so, um, this is so important because then we, without this, without this uh, inquiry, we, we lose the sense of interconnectedness. And this is where it all falls apart, yeah? When we lose an experiential taste of interconnectedness. When we actually truly believe in self and other. But if we can't find the self, then we automatically are in tune with the other. It's just, it's automatic. It's nothing, again, contrived. 
when we notice that this self that we're clinging to has no locale, has no location, like the flowers, flowers. So Rick, point to Rick. There's Rick right there. Yeah. It's so funny that we could point to flowers, but we can't point to ourselves. We usually do something like that. But no heart surgeon has ever said, oh yeah, there's the self right there. (laughs) Or people go like that, you know. So noticing that the, the energy of what this clinging energy, like what are we clinging to? Do we cling, cling to the I and then of course we cling to the mind and then we go to war once we have a mind because you're not going to do this to my country or to my family or to my religion or to my whatever. Yeah? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Not mine. <clears throat> so I posted this, I think, on our Facebook page a couple of weeks ago. I thought it would be good to read now. What is Buddhism? Buddhism is a statement of our intrinsic goodness and the possibility of discovering that intrinsic goodness. This is a simple answer, but complex questions can arise from that. Giving a simple answer is not always that simple. When I use the word goodness, I'm not using it in a sense of nicey, nicey goodness, (laughs) or sanctity, or holiness. Goodness here relates to complete value. It's a beautiful choice of words, I think. Complete value. This goodness is the goodness of freshly baked bread, the goodness of seeing a field of sunflowers, the goodness of birth and death, the goodness of being present. There is a basic goodness, a basic sanity with which we can connect. We have that. We simply need to allow ourselves the non-referential space to find it. So the last piece is what we're talking about, the self, the non-referential piece of, of you know, the whole universe is, is not here and here. Is that huh? Is that no, that's, um, I, I can't pronounce it. It's a Rinpoche. It's a Tibetan oh. Rinpoche. It's like Nagat Chang Rinpoche. Mm-hmm. In terms of resiliency, this is what we need to taste. And if it stays conceptual, if it stays in romantic enlightenment, we won't be able to taste it, yeah? I was listening to Pema Chodron actually the other day, and she was talking about the first time she heard about um, what actually gave a talk on death and impermanence. And she felt the strong fear arising, like, wow, no, this is true. Like, I'm actually going to die. Like, you know, she just kind of came full force at it. And if you know Pema Chodron, I mean, I mean, she is like, for me, you have to be courageous to listen to her because she is just so fearless, you know. She's just like, bam, 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 you know, just like pitch you over the head with it. And that was so awesome to hear. And it was like she was very young and she heard it and all the fear. And she said, because of all that fear that arose within me, I, get to, I got to sit with it until it became, I became fearless because there was nothing there. And that, that's it. That's everything. That's what we're saying. Sit with ourselves. Let all the muck and all the crap and all the fear and everything, let it come up till you see through it. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And along the way, of course, use your wisdom. You know, honor your coping mechanisms. Don't take your most hellacious anxiety and just say, I'm going to look at it, you know. Yeah, drip by drip. Short time, many times. <laughs> yeah, not all at once, yeah? So you get to use your wisdom. It's a practice. But this is it. This is it. This is what all the saints and sages have said. Oh, yeah, this is all, all that fear stuff. All that's fake. As Sokni Rinpoche says, it's, it's real but not true. It's real to you because you're feeling it. 
but it's not true. Just because you feel it, just because it's real, you feel it, doesn't, make, doesn't mean it's true. We have to look at it, and then we know the Dharma, truth, the Dharmakaya. This is the truth kaya, Samboga kaya, Nirmana kaya. These are the other kayas. There's physical, spiritual kaya. Then you have the Dharma kaya, the truth kaya. We have to pierce through the other ones so we could see. And to pierce through, to be able to hold everything long enough to sit with it, we have to use love and compassion. That's the subduer, yeah? Without love and compassion, we could only go as far as our love will take us. Because fear and love can, cannot abide in the same place. And when, when the self is, when the romantic version of enlightenment is disappearing <laughs> in meditation and we're getting the real shit, we're like, oh my God, here, like, I'm really just moving out and letting go of even, even the concept of me. And we meet that fear that could arise. Maybe many of you have felt that. Very, very strong. At least for me. Very strong. I remember one time I was sitting. I don't know if I've said this before. I was sitting one time and I let all the fear come. I said, you know what? Go ahead. And it was tidal waves. I couldn't believe it. It was like these bigger than the room. Waves of fear. Started splashing down just like. Boom, boom. And like each one was bigger and more powerful than, than the last one. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what am I doing? I shouldn't have said anything, you know. Like, <laughs> it was so powerful. It was so powerful. My whole being was just full of fear. Yet I knew there was a knower and the known. I knew that I was, that which was looking was not the fear. Yeah. So I just stayed with it. I just stayed. What could be harmed anyway? You know, fear can't kill us. It doesn't have teeth. It's not sharp like a knife. Yeah. So just, but just feeling everything, letting everything come. And like when Buddha was facing these types of things, Mara, yeah. He said he just relentlessly, relentlessly never gave up on loving kindness. Everything, all the demons, whatever those manifested, just met it all with loving friendliness. And it subdued it all. And so we remember this. You know, what if we try that with our anxieties and our fears? What if we meet them with loving friendliness? What happens then? What if we meet ourselves with loving friendliness? What happens then? What if we meet the person who cuts us off in traffic with loving friendliness? What happens then? You know, maybe we can become more resilient. Because what I notice with myself, and this is like, we say the term like, well, I'm on my last nerve, you know? <laughs> I'm on my, that's is it. It's just that we have a container, like our... Our, our being, we're like we're a container. And if it keeps getting filled up short time, many times with suffering, you see, we're filled. There's no room. There's no room left for patience. There's no room left for virtue. There's no, you know, we're just at our wit's end. But if short time, many times, we remember loving kindness, wisdom, joyfulness, compassion, you see, now we start to move and we, we, we begin to open up and have spaciousness. Spaciousness for our own practice to actually be present along with the chaos of, chaos of everyday life, yeah? Here's another one. The reason that we study and practice Buddha Dharma is to learn how to work with our minds. We need to work with our minds particularly during difficult times. When our mind is not friendly, when it frightens us to the point that we'd rather not even associate with it. 
Dharma teaches us how to look at our minds and familiar, familiarize ourselves with how it works. We learn what its patterns are, how it, gar how it goes out of control and threatens us as well as others. In essence, Dharma cultivates our intelligence. It allows an intelligent person to come out of behind the habits, impulses, and reactions that normally dominate the mind. Then when the momentum of power, then when the momentum and power of our mind gone wild begins to stir, we don't feel like a feather in the wind. Learn how to work with our minds, particularly in difficult times, when our mind is not so friendly. Yeah? That's Control Rinpoche. So, I wanted to maybe, yeah, we'll do, we'll do a little meditation. Um, so I thought I'd have more time, but I'm going to go over, I'm going to do a little meditation. And we'll look at the five disturbing emotions, just one by one. And this, there's many, many practices that can act as our triggers for, for mindfulness and to look, to mindfulness and to look. How am I reacting to life? One, one way to do it is to, is to have the antidotes of the five disturbing emotions so we know when these emotions are arising. When these emotions arise and we follow them, this breaks us down. But if we use antidotes, then it can build us back up, right? So we'll do a little meditation. And I'm just going to pull up these emotions. And as I do, maybe recall a time when you felt this, or you know this energy in your life. And then I'm going to mention an antidote, and you allow that to arise as well, okay? Now, when we're doing practices like this, again, don't pick the most disturbing <laughs> emotion of anger you've ever had. You know what I mean? Like, we're practicing, right? This is just, this is a really safe place where we practice allowing it to arise, and we're going to allow an antidote to arise so we could take that with us deeper into our life and into our practice, okay? All right. Allowing your eyes to close, getting in a meditative posture that feels comfortable for you. We won't be sitting too long, so it doesn't have to be super comfortable. Breathing in, I know that I am breathing in. Breathing out, I know that I am breathing out. Allowing to come to mind a time when you felt or were aware of jealousy. Maybe you simply scroll down your Facebook feed. Saw something on the news or heard. Of someone getting something. that maybe you wanted. And then replacing that with rejoicing. Rejoicing in the success of others, rejoicing in the happiness of others. May their good fortune 
not diminish, but continue to grow greater and greater. And next, allowing anger to arise, frustration, anger. And one antidote to anger is simply looking about looking at how it feels. Kind of being disgusted with how anger arises in the body. The second antidote is to recall a moment of patience or non-harming. How does that feel? Feeling the energy between the two is a cause for insight and wisdom. And next, allowing the energy of attachment to arise. I have to have this something. Or I need something to be just like this. Or I won't be happy. And the antidote to attachment is renunciation. Renunciation simply means that I already am everything. Nothing ever can be added to me or taken away. It could affect my happiness and contentment. It's trusting in your own Buddha nature. 
renunciation. Next, allowing arrogance to arise. Arrogance. And the antidote here is appreciation and humility. We could also think of interconnectedness here. Last one is ignorance, but in this term, ignorance is just not simply not knowing. It's kind of not wanting to know. It's also translated as a form of stupidity when we know things will harm us, but we continue to do them anyway. So we actually know better. So maybe allowing an instance or situation to arise where you knew better, you knew that would cause yourself harm or others harm, but something moved you to do it anyway. And the antidote here is to simply have mindful curiosity. Why do we do these things? Do we want money or happiness? Do you want power or happiness? Do we want to be right or do we want happiness? Do we want to remain ignorant to our full potential? Or do we want happiness? It might take some courage for all these things along the way.
so um, it would be great to learn about her each other's resilience practices. <laughs> Shall we all have them? And like I mentioned in the beginning. Uh, so maybe let's let's uh, break into smaller pieces, uh, smaller um, groups, and yeah, just chat about how this landed for you and maybe your own resilience practices, your practice. So maybe no no larger than no larger than four. Just turn to the people sitting next to you. No longer, no larger than four. Sometimes I wish we had a two-hour sit. You know, so we could always feel like. Oh. Anyone want to share with the larger group some of the things that came up for them? Well, I feel very fortunate to be one of those people that started to study and practice when things were good, just out of my pure fascination and desire to know more. And I was much, I was young and practiced as much as I could, read every book, went on retreat all this time. But the truth of it was I hadn't really experienced a ton of suffering in kind of a more adult way. And I went through, I lost my partner to, through death and that drove me deeper into practice. But my mind went with the, in that experience, because I was fascinated with psychology and stuff as well, and I thought, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna go into a depression, I'll probably kill myself, I'll probably relapse into addiction. Like, that's what I thought, I know this will happen. Mm -hmm. And none of those things happened. So, you know, I go forward more into adult life and had recently had an experience where I suffered a physical injury that has rendered me unable to do. I'm a ballet dancer, a yoga teacher, and an avid runner. So everything I love, I do for stress release and I do for work, mm -hmm. taken away. Mm -hmm. And again, I had all these like, you know, ideas psychologically, I'm gonna suffer my identity, I'm gonna go through this experience, it's gonna be very damaging to me. And again, that's not really what has happened. Mm -hmm. In fact, the opposite has happened in several ways. So for me, resiliency was nothing I ever I didn't practice it. I didn't decide to do that. It was just mirrored back to me continually when my ideas and my sensations of fear and all those other emotions were arising and they were shown to me not to be solid. And I thought, well, shit, like that's resilient. <laughs> like I didn't know and I didn't do it. I'm not taking any credit for it. Yeah. But it happened to me. I feel like that's my relationship. That's my experience of resilience. Wonderful. Beautiful. Thank you. We, we talked a little bit just about, you know, resilience. Not, you know, we had it, but not as a formal practice. But, but one of the questions and the issues that came up was when, when we start to label the truth of things as good or bad, like, this is really bad for me right now. Yeah. <laughs> this is really good for me. And when, when we see things just as the truth and, and appreciate a truth and being aware of the truth of something, then it helps to create a little more space around yeah. things. I think that's why. Wonderful. Thank you. We kind of talked a little bit about how resilience um, kind of lives there already, like kind of like what you were saying, you know, like um, it, it, it's not something that we, I, I don't think we were talking about that we cultivated, it was just something that like when we had breakdown after breakdown or rug getting pulled out or deconstruction that occurred or dark night of the soul or whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. when all of this stuff occurred, then something else rose. And that is to me is resilience and plug it into you know what however you want to label it. But then right. it's it's there. So it's not like something you have to go seek and find mm -hmm. and kind of chisel to. Yeah, thank and you. Then, um, I was just thinking I didn't really just uh, discuss it in our group, but I have a friend who has a son who's been um, who's had a lot of bad things happen to him. And he's got AIDS, and he's 
very depressed, and he's basically killing himself by not taking his medications. Mm -hmm. But he is one of those people that doesn't have resilience. I mean, he, you know, I mean, I know a lot of other people have had AIDS and bad things, and, and they somehow manage to, you know, get beyond that. Mm -hmm. And yet he doesn't. And I think part of his, I think some of what I see of him is that he doesn't have any sense of joy, the joy of life. He doesn't understand that mm -hmm. concept at all mm -hmm. of the miracle and joy of life. And he doesn't have a sense of interconnectedness. He mm -hmm. just really is this lone person that's had these things happen to him and just can't mm -hmm. seem to connect with anybody and find any joy in anything. Yeah. It's so unfortunate. There's the a lot of times when we feel really bad, we contract. We think we're the only ones, and uh, the, everything's against us. You know, it reminds me of um, I forget which. I think Ajahn Chah talking about for doubt, just like this doubt of the basic goodness. Like this is like the Buddha Dharma is like this faith in basic goodness. And it's really unfortunate because of all of our examples of, of life is, is not basic goodness. It's really hard to have that kind of arise, yeah. It's very difficult. So I'm just wondering, can, can you teach, can you, can you practice so that you learn resiliency? Yeah, well, it's all about coming in connection with that, that part of himself He's just, he's only suffer. there's only one way to suffer, believing a thought. That's it. You be believe a thought. Mm -hmm. And so we only suffer thoughts, emotions, and body sensations. So if he knows, if he thinks he's his body, thoughts, body, thoughts, emotions, and body sensations, if we self-identify with that, then it's just a, ri a wild ride, right? But if we know that we're something beyond that, that which is looking at thoughts, emotions, and body sensations, that's a place of refuge. Yeah, then we start to marinate in that, and that's where the intrinsic qualities of resilience and compassion and wisdom—that's where that arises. So, of course, we're not teaching anything. Like everyone is saying, like I was—it's not—it's a subtraction problem. It's letting go of what we're not and arriving in what we are. Yeah, but as long as we attach to, he's attaching to something that's completely impermanent. Emotions fall away, he would fall away. The sensation goes away. You know? uh, so those things, you know, hopefully he, and then of course, then you have the whole mind that wants to go there or not, you know. It's difficult. Yeah. So just one, we're, all, we're at time, so just have to be really quick. I just want to respect everyone's time. Oh, okay. I'll go fast. Um, well, I want to say thank you for that and for that meditation as well. It was really, really um, an amazing reminder. And I remembered um, just one particular instance. I work in a school and I'm working in an interdisciplinary sort of situation at IEPs with parents and other professionals. And speech therapists. Okay. So, um, and I realize like sometimes, you know, when questioned about clinical judgment or this or that, that there is this arising of all, oh, like, wow, that got like arrogance, like, oh, I know, you know, I'm the expert. And I saw, like, this visual, this clear visual of when I'm, like, in that state of, like, everyone moving so far away from me. And that sense of, like, oh, well, this is not my joy, this is not joy, this is not joy at all. And then, like, other times in meetings where I've had such, sometimes in the same meeting appreciation for the process and the uh, amazing people that I work with and like the deep caring that we all share, you know, and I'm so blessed to have it at work. Yeah. And how that joy comes up and just so that like juxtaposition of of the of the feelings mm. that sometimes happens so quickly. Right, so, right. So Thank you. I feel like I'll bring different awareness now. Right, right. <laughs> so it's nice. Thanks. And one more with Anthony. Yeah. Oh we talked about uh, the fact that when stressful things happen, there's a tendency of the mind to want to solve the problem, even if it's an unsolvable problem. Mm -hmm. So you focus on thinking about it, trying to fix it, and you can't fix it. 
So it just agitates your mind, which makes you think about it more. And so the, sometimes stepping up the amount that we sit can be can add to our resilience, yeah. or making it a normal practice, an yeah. everyday practice, versus yeah. just when you feel like sitting. Um, and as a result of that, um, it just seems like it just gives you more awareness, more mindfulness, which can pull you out of being so close to a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've found that there's times when I'm too upset to focus on my breath. And it's been helpful to use a mantra, because there's no mm -hmm. way you can, can you know, be repeating like go, let God, or nam yo, renge kyo, or anything else, and continuing to yeah. to focus and worry about whatever it is you're focusing mm -hmm. and worrying about. And if you sit there and do that for an hour, when it's over, you'll actually have quite a bit of resilience added to, Absolutely. Your, to that <coughs> Wonderful. reservoir. Thank you. Thank you all so very much for coming today. So, so precious. This is dedicated to merit. Think of all the goodness, all the wisdom, all the love and compassion. That we uh, All the insights that arose together today. And just sending them out to all beings. All the brothers and sisters that couldn't make it here today. It is such a gift. It is such a luxury to practice to listen, mm -hmm. to be all together in this. So sending this out to all beings, may all beings be happy without exception and free from suffering. Mm -hmm. Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.